Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got, well, I'd like to say a great stream, but it's a stream of some gravity, so I can't say that we're all going to have a ton of fun here, but I think it is a very important topic, something that does need to be talked about. And so to cover it with me, I have one of my favorite returning guests, The Prudentialist. Thanks for joining me, man. I wish we were covering something of better circumstances, but I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, I know when I sent you the topic on this one, it's like, oh, did I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do I have to get tapped? But, but it, it is important. And, you know, uh, we're talking about this today for a very simple reason. You know, there's been a lot of hubbub in, you know, this conservative media sphere about all kinds of stuff going on, drama, this kind of thing. And we had this really huge story. And I said on Twitter, you know, I can't believe that this story is not getting anywhere near as much coverage as it deserves while everyone is talking about whoever's, you know, drama about whatever contracts they're signing, whatever. And then I realized, wait, I'm part of the sphere. And so if I'm not talking about it, then then I'm kind of avoiding the subject too, which I think it's it's too important to avoid. So that that's why we're going to be talking about it today. So for those who are unfamiliar, uh, the story we're going to be talking about today, and we're gonna we're gonna talk. Uh, Touch on a couple. It won't be the only one, uh, but the the first story we're going to be talking about today is the story about uh, a couple, uh, a gay couple, who ended up adopting uh, two children from a adoption agency from a Christian uh, ado- adoption agency, which we'll be getting into here in a moment. Uh, and they ended up uh, that couple ended up ta- uh, adopting these two boys who were already the children, of, you know, biological children of a, like a heroin addict, had a very terrible home life when they were young. And once they adopted these boys, they ended up uh, subjecting them to sexual molestation of many different types. Uh, unfortunately, we'll have to get into some of that, as well as basically pimping these boys out to other uh, pedophiles that they were in contact with through various things like gay dating apps and also making pornography uh, in, involving uh, these uh, these young people. Now, uh, like I said, re- really horrible, um, terrible stuff to talk about, um, very difficult. So bear with us because we're, you know, we're working with YouTube, we're working with all the, all the censorship as well, but we're also kind of just working with the difficulty of of the of the topic we'll 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 get into some of the details but i don't want this to just turn into some slog like some horrific shock slog about kind of what happened here i want it to also you know be about the reactions to this and kind of what it means uh, and how this all ties together uh so i'm gonna go ahead and put the thread uh on the screen here real quick uh for people who don't know uh mia kafel i believe is the way that it's pronounced uh, is the person who did the reporting here. Uh, she is a reporter with Town Hall, um, and I want to start out by just saying, yeah, how much, uh, you know, how much she deserves credit for this because uh, this is very difficult. This is very difficult for her to put together. This is something that I'm sure no one wanted wants to do reporting on in the first place. This is an incredibly difficult topic to report on. Uh, but in addition to the difficulty of reporting on it, uh, this is what no one wants to hear. Um, no one wants to hear about this. No one wants, no, everyone wants to sweep this under the rug. Um, and this is especially true on, you know, kind of with the social media brigading. Uh, she's already received lots of hate mail accusing her of all kinds of hate and, and homophobia and whatever because she was simply willing to do basic reporting 
on the topic. And that's, I think, something we're going to hit really big today because this did not need to happen, as we can, as we'll see as we go along with this story. Um, these uh, people were not fit to adopt. Um, this was known. Uh, this was ignored explicitly. Uh, and these children were put in very vulnerable situations. And really, the only the only answer is uh, that this happened because uh, of of kind of the identities of those involved, uh, which I think we'll, we'll kind of get into here. Um, so, uh, starting off here, she kind of reveals that these two children who are now nine 11 were originally adopted by these, uh, these two men who were, uh, who were gay activists. They were not just, you know, two guys kind of minding their own business. They were very active in, uh, you know, kind of, kind of in pushing this kind of thing that you see, you'll see. Um, in social media posts, uh, the gentleman talked about their support for BLM, their voting records, uh, you know, talking, you know, their, their house is filled with all these different pride, you know, things that, you know, they, they were very big on making sure everyone was aware about how active they were in kind of political movements. Um, and they are accused of sodomizing these children. Um, they're accused of distributing pornography about them. They're accused of trafficking these children to uh, to multiple people that they were in contact with. Um, what makes this worse is that they were adopted in 2018. So this is nearly, this is what now four plus years ago. And that means that they were even younger when this had all started. And yes. she reports later on in the thread that many of the family members knew or had the suspicion that these two individuals preyed on these children for their vulnerable state because their parents were heroin addicts. And it does speak, I think, a lot to the the failure, I mean, just the failure of the law in one instance, but secondly, how far the law has gone to uh, eliminate freedom of association in this respect, because if a Christian agency for adoption for children with special needs is that terrified um, in this respect because of their political and their sexual orientation, then, you know, I'm sure that that agency didn't want to have another Colorado Baker situation or worse, be sued under some sort of Civil Rights Act legislation. But it does indicate that this is how far the uh, mechanism of protected status and media flare ups can be, because it doesn't matter if there's a trial by jury. You are tried and usually executed in the court of public opinion and nothing screams execution like being wanting to stand up for your faith and to acknowledge that some groups do have propensities for things. And this is one of them. And we can see here specifically um, that this should have never happened because like you said, you know, the, there were warning signs well in advance of this adoption prior to the adoption, according to uh, Mia's reporting here, uh, one of the uh, adoptive parents, Zachary was accused of luring a 14 year old boy to uh, his house um, and was also in the same jurisdiction uh, accused of, uh, uh, of child rape. And so this guy has already received these accusations previously, which should have been immediately disqualifying to this, or, or at the very least should have been an insane warning flag, especially again for a, a adoption agency that is, uh, you know, supposed to be Christian in nature. And more importantly here is putting children up for adoption who are even more vulnerable due to their status. One of the reasons that this charity was probably very 
in need of adoptive parents is that they were specifically doing the work of helping children who were either uh, disabled in some way or had uh, circumstances that made them much harder to adopt. For instance, children who are much older are generally difficult uh, to get uh, adoptive parents for a parent or children that cannot be separated because they have siblings that they are uh, familiar with and, and can't be separated from uh, are, are again, very difficult to adopt. And so this charity specifically takes on the role of adopting children who are kind of in this very difficult group, either you know, this at-risk group or this, this difficult group uh, for adoption. And so they're probably, you know, having a much harder time in general, which again, very likely is one of the reasons that this couple decided to target that charity for adoption, knowing that they were much more desperate for, for kind of parents and would probably be more lax in their standards. But as we can see during this 2011 case that this gentleman, or I shouldn't say gentleman, this absolute piece of garbage uh, was, uh, uh, was accused. Uh, he, the uh, case was closed without much investigation into it. Um, they dropped pretty much everything. And apparently now that Mia has uh, attempted to get public records on the type of investigation done into these prior allegations, uh, the uh, records request was rejected uh, because the uh, sheriff's department said the case is back open again, and that would jeopardize. How convenient. The... Yes, yes. Amazingly convenient that this incredible uh, lapse of of investigation is suddenly unable to, you can't examine it you can't get any records of it all of a sudden it's shut down because uh we got to reopen this case so there might be some new leads like yeah I, I think you could probably say uh there's a high possibility that there was a lot of validity uh you know to to the accusations made now that you have additional information so uh, you know to be clear th these are people that were incredibly um suspect they're incredibly suspect uh and you know already had backgrounds that should have sent up lots lots of red flags should have already disqualified the possibility of this but it seems like they were ignored um and of course the problem is we can speculate but no one knows for sure why right like no one, they don't come out and say it. Of course, the sheriffs probably don't have it written down somewhere. We're not investigating this because of the nature of the people involved. But when you have the kind of bias that we have in our society and the kind of acceptance uh, or, or, you know, willful ability, uh, willful actions to cover up a lot of very unsavory details, uh, then choices are made in who and how you prosecute and who and how you investigate uh, when they kind of have sus suspicious backgrounds. And it's very clear uh, a thorough investigation was not done, or at least not a thorough enough investigation was done of these uh, these guys in, in this situation. Yeah, and it does sort of beg on the question if the investigation wasn't thorough, if there was a previous one done in 2011, what is the relationship between the investigation and the authorities and these two individuals themselves? It does have, it almost reminds me of Jeffrey Epstein, but a much smaller vibes in regards to agencies not wanting to investigate or being part of it. And what do they have a relationship to the police with? Again, this remains unknown, but it, I think to us, it illustrates that, you know, it's good that they're, you know, potentially receiving nine life sentences, but, you know, I'm, I'm one that should be investing in millstone futures. But again, this sort of pol politicking, like we see here on screen, I think indicates that 
once something becomes this normalized and pervasive, that means that the uglier side and the inconvenient truths get swept under the rug for the sake of political convenience. Um, you know, a lot of people say that the left can't meme. Well, left-wing memes exist all the time. Born this way, love is love, or, you know, it's just two consenting adults and, or, you know, trans women or women and things like that. It doesn't have to be a nice little internet picture JPEG that you can share on Twitter. These things are memetically enforced in law through ideology and in doing so can change the culture in the same way that, you know, most people still have that biological reaction when they see two men kissing. And then what's the response by elites is to, well, you know, maybe if we find a way to alter one's neurochemistry, we can change these things in the same way with regards to religion and other aspects of human psychology. And it does illustrate that this kind of stuff with acceptance means that this is probably one case out of untold hundreds, if not more, that we aren't aware of. Yeah, you you really have to wonder how much of this does go unreported, right? With with Mia getting the kind of reaction that she's gotten from her reporting here, which again is just factual reporting. There's there's no implications throughout her uh, her work here. This is this is simply strict reporting, reporting that other people would in general be completely unwilling to do. And, you know, she's already getting the reaction she's getting. So how much does that incentivize people not to do this? I mean, obviously, the media is already incentivized not to report on these cases. They don't want these cases to exist, and they certainly don't want them to be publicized. Again, like I said, even the conservative media, you know, this got reported on. I'm not saying it didn't get reported on. But but the outrage of some some horrific crime like this, like like truly unspeakably horrific crime, uh, seems a lot lower than things that are very inconsequential. And, you know, a part of it, again, is just due to the very difficult nature of this. No one wants to stare this in the face. I don't I don't want to. But um, but the other part of it is obviously the incredible social pressure from, you know, corporations, from media, from universities, from social media, from everything, anything you interact with. If you're a person who is making this stuff known, if you're a reporter in this case, uh, you know, I have a lot of bad things to say about journalists, but all credit in this case, this is actually courageous journalism. This is what it, this is really pushing back against uh, the, the powerful. This is truly speaking truth to power because let's be very clear. These people are powerful and they know it. They and, do. Um, and then they don't, and they want to make sure that no one else is allowed to, to share what's happening here. And uh, yeah, no, Mia did a fantastic job in reporting this and the flack that she is getting indicates that she is very much on topic. And you're right that there were some conservative uh, media outlets that covered it. I know that the Blaze has covered it, the Town Hall, the Post Millennial, the areas in which Mia works in. Uh, and I know that Matt Walsh covered it and had gotten some pushback from other sides of uh, other members of sort of what we would call conservatism incorporated. Uh, you know, I know that Brad Palumbo had pushed back and I guess took it personally because, you know, he had said that he wouldn't want a male babysitter or anything similar to this situation from happening to his own children, which is a perfectly reasonable response. And what had taken place is the simple fact that even so-called conservatives or those that want to appeal to a social tradition have just as much been infected with sort of the, as Elon Musk would call it, the woke mind virus that is anathema to our civilization. And you know, I remember, you know, five, six years ago around when Trump was running for president that we had individuals, you know, getting so excited about, see, we have our own sort of uh, conservative, you know, gaze that we can rely on and support on. And in turn, it means that we ourselves, right, saying Conservatism Inc. would have to face the 
ugly hate facts when they rear themselves and the egg is now on everyone's faces, but at least that there are still some on the right that are willing to report this monstrosity and this evil. And it only does beg the further question, well, now what? Because this only uh, unearths the uncomfortable questions and accusations and truths that were just being faced, you know, years ago. I mean, when Harry Hay was walking in pride parades and said, Nambla walks with me, I, it's almost as if we're revisiting the same controversies from 40 years ago. Well, and like you said, the, the amazing thing is how much of this was about tone policing, right? The, 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 you shouldn't be focused on the failures here of the social system. You shouldn't be focused on the failures of law enforcement or the ability of these organizations to vet this stuff. You shouldn't be outraged that this was allowed to continue for years and years or, you know, wh whatever it is. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to watch your tone when you discuss it. And that's kind of the reaction you're talking about with, with people to, to guys like Matt Walsh when they were, uh, you know, <laughs> voicing justifiable outrage and, and uh, to what has happened here. And that's a, uh, that's a horrific, uh, that that is the focus of what the, what uh, people want to talk about is um, only the way in which you can present this, only the way in which you can talk about it, only the tone with which you can address it. Not the fact that this happened, not that these, children are victims, not that they are probably not alone, and that we do not have the ability to discuss and investigate and put barriers and create safety for children to keep them from this kind of predation again, I think is, uh, it's, it's really horrific. It's, it really is. I don't, I don't have another word for it. I wish I did, but. I mean, it, it, it echoes the same thing that had happened in Rotherham in the UK, where you had enforcement officials not wanting to investigate upon it, knowing the political pushback that they would get from it, both from the ethnic group in question, but also from their own authorities, not wanting to be called or labeled racist or, you know, xenophobic or anything like that. And I'm sure the same thing probably played in the mind of some cops thinking to themselves as this $48,000 a year job working in the police department somewhere in Georgia is really worth losing my entire livelihood of being called a bigot or a homophobe. And I think that the same thing is we're going to see happen play out as we have with the media that if we report uncomfortable subjects and we, you know, state blatantly obvious things with that have statistical propensity to happen, then we're going to face the same kind of consequences over and over again, which is that, well, how dare you report on this? You know, you should really watch your tone. You know, not everybody is like this. Uh, you know, that's that preemptive sort of CYA that we're seeing out of a lot of officials right now wanting to defend their own political positions and try to hide skeletons in their own closet, which is even more demonstrable of how bad things really are besides this case. Because as we talked about earlier, if, if this hasn't been reported for years, then it makes you wonder where else is this happening across the country? Yeah, and, and you're right to point out that this is a wider epidemic across many different uncomfortable truths, like you talk about with Rotherham and in the UK. And, you know, I, I just... Uh, ended up talking with, I was at a barbecue and there's a, a guy there who's, who's a, you know, police officer in a major city that everybody would re you know recognize. And he said, uh, you know, when we go to certain neighborhoods, uh, we just know that uh, we don't get out of the car. You know, we go directly to the house that we've been called to. And then we go directly back out of the neighborhood and we don't interact with anybody. We don't look for anything. We don't have to. What he's saying is basically police know better than to police certain communities, because if they do, that's the end of their career. Um, and so we avoid it, we go exactly where we have to go, and then we get out and then we let 
let the community do whatever that's going to happen there. And we, we refuse to police it because it's too dangerous. Uh, you, you get in, you get out, you get your pension. That, that's the end of the day. And when that's the approach, uh, and again, I understand where these guys are coming from. You know, there, there's, there's no incentive for them. If they do their job, if they, if they save people, if they do what they're supposed to be doing, uh, it'll destroy their lives. You know, they'll, they'll not just end up uh, losing their job. They'll end up in jail. Uh, for for policing people who you know have special protection, and so you know b- you know people ask me all the time when these videos of you know these these drag shows where uh, trans strippers expose themselves to children who are clearly underage, you know eight nine years old, and people t- say why aren't the police there? Why isn't no one getting arrested? This is illegal. This is active legal. And the answer is uh, because nothing is illegal if the government is protecting the action. Um, and the government is clearly protecting the action. The, the, the police officers know that certain groups are untouchable. They know that what's happening is basically a state-sanctioned religious ritual. And they say, we're not getting involved. It's not worth my job. It's not worth my career. I'm, I'm not going to be one guy who saved the kid from the situation. Um, I'm going to be the guy who's immediately you know, uh, destroyed in public, loses his job, possibly ends up in jail, uh, has a massive lawsuit because I went against somebody that the state is implicitly protecting even if they're not explicitly putting that restriction into law. And so, yeah, I, I think that all of this, uh, both in, in journalism, law enforcement, and everything else involved in this, this cross-section of power and, and taboo and not being able to tell the truth and about certain situations means that people end up getting hurt, that kids end up getting hurt. And uh, we, we, we can see this the devastating effects right here. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember just a few years ago, the, the left was all very upset over the, 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 the key buzzword I remember at the time was stochastic terrorism. The idea yes. that our words are violence and that public demonization of a person or group could lead to violence and all sorts of other terrible acts, which is why, you know, they say that, you know, um, it, ironically, they live in the contradiction of silence is violence, but you have to speak up to save lives. And in this instance, really, all that we're seeing is state-sponsored stochastic terrorism. Uh, one side of this country has been thoroughly demonized, both based on its religion, its race, its heterosexuality. And in turn, we're going to see a public and promoted humiliation ritual upon that population. And some people are willing to buy into it and go for it. It reminds me um, very much of a Soviet-era 1978 essay called The Power of Powerlessness, where even if someone disagrees um, you know, a grocery, a grocer will put up the, the sign by the, the cashier that says, you know, workers of the world unite, regardless of whether or not they believe in it. But it's a subliminal message that eventually people will buy into. And it's the same reason why as demoralizing as videos from libs of TikTok are, it illustrates on a daily basis that these sort of things are no longer just subliminal. They are very public. They are promoted. They are sponsored. And at the end of the day, they are coming after children and especially your children if you are a parent. And this is the thing that we're going to have to be dealing with for the considerable future, because law enforcement on every level for the side of a few localities is infected with this. And because they have to know that they have to play by the social game because no one does want to lose their job. No one wants to lose their livelihood. No one wants to end up like that firefighter in Virginia who lost his job because he donated to Kyle Rittenhouse's legal defense, for example. This is where we're at in the country. Not only are we seeing a clearly delineated political speciation, but we are watching something that is the anathema to civilization, progressivism, play out right before here, and people are power lo- paralyzed in the face of state power, specifically the federal government, to do anything. 
Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. Again, you, you can't even escape it when you, you know, look at uh, the the guy who's the head of Firefox, right? Like, it doesn't matter how high you climb on the ladder. Did you donate to Prop 8 at one point? Did, did someone know that at some point you believed in a traditional definition of marriage? Well, then even from the very heights of power, you can be expelled. You know, Papa John thrown out of his own country. The guy is, is Colonel Sanders for that brand, right? His face was on the box. Um but you know, one one step, one misstep. Uh, you know, and so there there is no insulation from this. There is no oh, just go do your own thing. You know, be left alone. You know, if you can just separate yourself out enough, you'll you'll avoid this. No, it's it's everywhere. Um, but just just one more detail here before we move on because I don't want to spend the entire show on this. It, again, it is just incredibly dark, and there's the story needs to be said. It needs to be acknowledged. People need to understand what's going on. But I don't want to turn this into just a a, a drug, a, you know, a droll, you know, uh, just just terror porn of it going through and, and looking at how horrific it is. I don't I don't want that to be the case. So we will move on here. But um, but w- one thing that happened, of course, was that this uh, the these young men were trafficked. Not it's not just the brutal violence that was done to them by these adopted fathers. Um, but it's also that they were, they were shopped out uh, specifically through uh, gay dating apps like Grindr, uh, where they made contact with other men that they wanted to um, engage with. And they offered these adopted sons as, as kind of bonuses uh, for what they were doing. You can see, you know, some of the, the, the context here, uh, you know, you can, you can, it's, it's just, I, I don't even know what to say, you know. Nothing that nothing uh, I can say on YouTube yeah. <laughs> would be exactly right. No, Just like how you asked yeah. me to come on, would you like to try and not fed post or say anything spicy this week? Yeah, so. that, that's really all there. Yeah. <laughs> how how close? Yeah, no, it's like, like nothing, I said, uh, I'm I'm bearish on millstone futures. So I, that seems like a burgeoning industry, uh, one with a lot of promise. Investors, uh, investors probably winning big. Uh, this is the, you know. Um, but yeah, no, just, just horrific, but okay. So enough of that, uh, as, as, as bad as that is. So the, the other story I wanted to hit on that, um, is far, far fluffier. It's, it's, it's still serious in a sense, but no, nowhere near as dark here is of course, uh, the context of this hockey player. So there's a hockey player, um, last week, uh, who refused to wear, um, the, uh, pride, uh, the pride flag uh, jersey that his Philadelphia Flyers team uh, was requiring of him. Uh, it's uh, Ivan. Um, I'm not sure exactly how to say that. Perovarov. Sorry if I ever got that wrong. Um, but uh, Philadelphia Flyers guy, and he just says, comes out, and you know, he he doesn't say anything controversial at all. Of course, very simple. Um, you know. Uh, he even goes to the to the effort of saying, I respect everybody. I respect everybody's choices, but I'm just going to stay true to my religion. And um, and again, incredible props to this guy. I don't know anything about him. Uh, I, I'm not a, I'm not a big hockey guy, um, but I mean, that it just takes courage. It takes a, a, a bunch of courage at this point. A lot of people will play this stuff off and be like, oh, he makes a lot of money. No big deal, whatever. No, it's a huge deal. Um, and and uh, him him putting himself out that way um, matters. Uh, and this, of course, created a massive backlash. We had uh, ridiculous uh, sports commentators. And again, remember, this is the NHL, guys. Okay, like th- this is a pretty burly uh, 
guys sport right this is this is uh for guys who uh, you know are are uh you know huge who who drink a lot of beer you know this, this is not um this is not a dainty sport um the, these people are not the the average watcher of the nhl is is probably not super progressive but of course the commentariat is because that's how it works that's how all of this works all of your elites all of your people trained in colleges everyone who imbibed in the progressive uh, ideology to gain their status in the first place that's their true allegiance they don't really care about hockey they don't really care about nascar they don't really care about whatever your thing is what they care about is their political religion uh and the first thing they did was just v viciously attack this guy like literally just comically dystopian stuff like one guy was saying uh oh if, if he really respected everyone he would be forced to wear it like he, he, he of course he would like because acceptance tolerance means celebration right remember remember that transition remember mm -hmm. when it, it didn't wasn't supposed to matter to you it wasn't supposed. oh how does this affect your marriage oh you know they, they, they just want to be left alone and it, now it, it went no. from the privacy of their own bedrooms to it has to be publicly in your face and in your schoolhouse uh, very quickly and not just and not just that but you will be required to perform the ritual right it's not it's not even just that it has to be everywhere all the time it's not even that it has to infiltrate every tv show and every movie and every sport it, it, it's not just that it's that you will be made to dance in front of the camera what's wrong comrade are you not clapping do you not support the revolution you don't want to be the last one clapping for the revolution comrade like that's the kind of stuff that we're getting for the, to the point where this commentator out here went and said basically this guy should be deported out of the country so he can go die fighting in the ukrainian war like that that's that was how he responded to the fact that this guy was insufficiently loyal to the state religion he had committed heresy so he should be expelled and returned to a state so that he can he can die in a trench war somewhere you know, I, I do enjoy how the rhetoric from the George W. Bush years from neoconservatives went from, well, you know, if you don't like it, you know, you can always go somewhere else or, you know, you can go fight for Saddam or something like that. And uh, we sort of returned to our Trotskyist roots in regards to revolutionary idealism. And now we can go back to Russia and go fight in a trench or die in a hole somewhere because you refuse to submit yourself to Big Homo and all of its, you know, auspices and humiliation rituals. But I have to give Ivan all the credit in the world for simply saying no. And there needs to be more of that because no is still an incredibly powerful word because we're seeing this reaction and people calling for his head. I mean, I know he's received death threats from his beliefs is indicative of the fact that, uh, you know, you do have to follow the lead of somebody. And I think Ivan's is good enough for anyone to, to take the lead on in this regard. I wouldn't want to wear such a jersey. I wouldn't want to prostrate myself before a pride flag, which is a complete aberration and total co-opting of God's promise not to flood the world again. But here we are. And instead, what we are being flooded with is indoctrination and public humiliation in every which way in the West, especially here in the United States. And it's frustrating to see because this is not acceptable behavior and it's something that we would have found disgusting and wanted out of you know public and private society for very valid reasons as we just saw in the first story but where are we at now well we are now in a position wherein these kind of groups this kind of behavior this kind of identity is celebrated opened and we want you to be that we want you to you know deviate from the norm to our even politico just a few months ago said and by 2030, you know, the largest growing voting block in the United States will be the LGBTQ plus voting block at 30% of all eligible voters, according to their projections. You know, for a population that was statistically almost insignificant, 
Um, here they are now growing at speeds unseen before. And unlike the religion of, you know, be fruitful and multiply, they have to take what already exists and corrupt it in order for things to go their way. Um, you know, there are some people who, you know, were canceled by simply admitting the fact that a large propensity of people that become that way is due to abuse. And by simply, again, stating inconvenient facts or hate facts, as they like to say, um, this is where we're at. Those things get swept under the rug. But once you accept them, you know, you can't put the cork back in the bottle. Those kind of things are going to happen again, and they're going to be in your face, and people are going to get really uncomfortable and have to deal with the cognitive dissonance when stories either like Ivan's or the first one that we covered, the monstrosity of trafficking children, happens on a regular basis. But that seems to be the price of progress. And, uh, you know, just amazing that, uh, you know, Born This Way just disappeared. <laughs> out of nowhere you're like yeah i guess it just you know it's not yeah you know, we're, we're not doing that anymore we're, we're done with that it's no longer necessary so yeah we'll just we'll just ignore that it was like the crux of this throughout the whole thing um you know this population keep keeps growing but yeah anyway well by so, the explosion of this uh this group and the, its propensity right i think we learned that it isn't born this way it does come by the hands of another so the other thing that I want to touch on real quick to tie all this together is also Tony Dungy this week, uh, for those who don't know, also became kind of the victim of a woke mob after he attended the March for Life, um, you know, uh, the the pro-life rally uh, that gets no coverage every year because it's really inconvenient. And, uh, you know, remember, protests only happen if the media wants them to have happened. So uh, it's important to remember what protests actually are and how they actually work. Um, but that said, Tony Dungy attended and he caught uh, a lot of heat, of course. Apparently, he also made some kind of tweet at some point about, um, about uh, you know, them putting, uh, about the school system placing uh, 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 sanitary napkins or, or, or pads in uh, men, male bathrooms because, of course, you know, trans students that that's what has to happen now Tony Dungy made some kind of joke about you know them putting a litter box in the bathroom because someone identified as a cat and of course this makes Tony Dungy a, a super evil person um and so he he also getting the canceling or whatever uh, they can't really cancel him at this point he's got tons of money I'm sure but you know that they he's getting a lot of that heat and and one of the things I saw between Dungy and um and this uh hockey player Ivan was that uh, in both cases, I saw Christians, uh, even Christian sports commentators saying, hey, uh, where's our uh, tolerance? Where, where's the tolerance for our beliefs? We, 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 tolerance was demanded for us over and over again. Um, you know, we were, we were told that everyone was going to live and let live, that everyone was going to be, have their own beliefs and that we were going to be able to, uh, you know, kind of, you know, go our own separate ways and it wouldn't be a big deal. And it turns out now actually we're getting attacked. But, you know, kind of the point I was making on Twitter around this is, uh, you know, the left is just not that stupid. They're just not as stupid as like, you know, the GOP or whatever, right? Like the left understands that like one faith wants to carve up children to prove that they believe sufficiently in gender ideology and the other one wants kids to like go to church and these two cannot exist they, they, they are mutually exclusive like liberalism will not mediate this uh difference in moral visions like someone's gonna win this and someone's gonna lose this and there is no third option like either the public square is supportive of the good, the true, beautiful, and the true, or the public square is supportive in the complete destruction of children. 
and you really have to choose one. You don't get to sit, like the left is not foolish enough to listen to your cries for like pluralism or tolerance. They never believed in any of that. That was never a real value of theirs. Tolerance for the left is you believe and you parrot what we say without question. And if you step off the reservation, we're going to crush you because we know that works. They have no interest in returning to some idea of neutrality or tolerance when it comes to competing moral visions. Absolutely. And as you've uh, famously said on Twitter, and I, th I think it used to be your pinned tweet for quite some time was, is that uh, the side that wants to be left alone will always lose to the side that wants to win. And this side that we're seeing from our opposition, progressivism, not only is it anti-civilizational, but it is the side that wants to win. It does want to conquer order. It wants to conquer traditional hierarchy norms regarding gender, sex, politics, everything that we've seen in between and have it completely inverted. And many people were fools to think that in the past that that could be, you know, we could have our pluralism, that we could have our ideas to be left alone. And we are now living very quickly from 2015, from over to LV Hodges to this very quickly and very rapidly. And, you know, uh, Tony Dungy is probably one of the nicest sports commentators that's out there. Um, for those that still watch, I, you know, when growing up and watching football with my family, like I don't remember that ever being a, him ever having a bad thing to say or ever getting in trouble, but simply having the belief that children should not be murdered in the womb is going to have people like Keith Ilberman, you know, yelling for your resignation or for you to be fired um, without any sort of severance package or anything like that. And I think it just goes back to that old idea about, you know, when I'm weaker for you, I ask for freedom because it's according to your principles. And when I'm stronger than you, I'll take it away. Uh, I think it's from the old Dune quote, but it, it really does illustrate what we're, what we're dealing with right now is this that, that promise of pluralism or that will be left alone was never going to happen. And we're now living in the aftermath of what that looks like. And yes, most people still don't like it in their revealed preferences. I mean, no one wants to go see a very openly raunchy gay rom-com like bros or whatever it was called, but it doesn't matter because they still have to pair at the talking points. They still have to say what's appropriate in polite conversation and polite company. Um, so you don't get fired or so people don't shun you or keep you out from having a promotion and things like that. And that seems to be the the play-by-play -play of what we're dealing with here because it's going to keep going down the slopes um, the faster and faster as we discussed the last time I came on because where else does this lead to but here? If uh, it's no longer born this way, but we can now have, for instance, transgender children, that leads into the very uncomfortable conversation of, well, if that's the case, then a consent-based society means that children can do what they wish. And that's what I think what's going to happen in the future. But that's where we're at politically, I think. And what comes now more than ever is going to be more and more people willing to take the hit to say no. And as dangerous as that is, um, it will require conservatives and right-wingers to be willing to step up to the plate and support these people with jobs and finance. I know that you had uh, Matthew Peterson on recently to talk about institutions and jobs, and there's going to need to be more of that in the coming years. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it's so important that there's a place for people to go when this stuff comes for them. And obviously, you don't have like an alternative hockey league or, or something like that at this point. But but in general, it's very important for the average person to have a way to reach out and find employment and still be able to earn a living 
when you know these kind of mobs come for them for you know just just espousing very basic tenets of their faith uh let's be very clear like the state has made it in very difficult almost impossible to interact with almost any institution at this point while holding a traditional understanding of like christian marriage right like there's just not an option for most people if they want to be able to do many of the things that are involved with the state at that point you just have to be calling it what it is it is religious persecution it's active it's happening in america and it's supported by the media and corporations uh they, they are not shamed out of this stuff and and so we really need to understand how important it is to have alternatives ways for people to make livings outside of this when you have that kind of pressure because there needs to be some kind of escape valve and, and i want to talk a little bit about kind of the culture war in general, just the idea of the culture war, because a lot of people on the right, um, especially people who are kind of either they're not very religious themselves, or they um, uh, they're they're people who were kind of left wing and they kind of came over the right. They're they're on the neocon cycle. They don't want to be involved in the culture war, or at least not in this way, right? Like maybe they don't want trans kids stuff in the school, but they don't want the Ten Commandments there either, right? Like they they just don't. They're they're fine with the last version of the purging of 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 kind of uh, uh, religious liberty or the the ability of people to have traditional understandings of, of kind of America, they're fine with that last version of it. They just don't like the current one. And so there are a lot of people on the right who just say, we need to ignore the culture war. This is a losing issue. Um, you know, we have a lot of people who are like, oh, this is all a distraction. You should be focusing on whatever my, my new economic program or class or, or something like that. At the end of the day, all this, all this culture war stuff is, is just a, it's a smokescreen and, and that the real power is, is hidden in, you know, monetary policy or whatever. And I'm not discounting portions of, of some of that stuff, but people need to understand the role that the culture war has played in the growth of the state's power. It is, it is completely intertwined. Okay. As the Prudentius was pointing out, the people are going to be pushing this through arms of the state and they, they're going to, they are already using this ideology to do things like separate parents from their children. If your parent is a wrong thinker, if they don't agree with the ideology, then they're going to lose custody of children. The state is wedging uh, ideology between the uh, between the child and their parent to make sure that at some point they can then use, you know, civil rights law to, to, to emancipate the child from their parents, because at the end of the day, the child has rights, the child has the ability to consent, the child has the right to make choices outside of the values of their parent. And that's an incredible growth of the power of the state. That's in a massive growth of the power of state, the ability for it to evade everything. I mean, the, the very definition, like if you want to know if you're in the total state, the way you know you're in the total state is that the state has the ability to at will turn the child on their parents and that's how you know you've got to that point and we're we're right there we're, we're at the, the the precipice and so pretending like the culture war just doesn't matter because really i've got an economic project or something on the side here it's ridiculous you have to you we got to this point because you refuse to care about this stuff you have to start caring there's no other option I do have to laugh when there is always this call that says that the culture war is either safe or it's the tolerable thing to talk about, not some of the real issues. To some extent, there's a lot of truth in that because the first story that we had just covered with regards to adoption and trafficking highlights the uncomfortable angle that it has to be approached. Oh, it's the adoption agency. Oh, it's known criminals. Oh, it's people that were previously investigated rather than the direct identity or the propensity of said identity itself. And because we can't have uncomfortable conversations in this country, especially ones that do not go 
within the you know placated total state sort of regime you know praises and words that we have to say like love is love and all that jazz um then we have to approach it in a different avenue in a different direction and the inability to approach inconvenient issues happens um and what's what we've seen out of this is that by simply saying no um i think it was sun tzu in the art of war that said you know uh, when you say no to someone who can't hear it that's basically the declaration of war and when it gets to that point, we're sort of falling back again to the vindication of Schmidt's criticisms of liberal democracy, that once there becomes these issues that are so whole near and dear ideologically, personally, or even for your own gratification, um, someone who says no is an instantaneous litmus test for who is the enemy. And I think that a lot of people, especially um, conservative Christians in the United States, do need to recognize you are a minority in this country. This is going to continue to happen for a considerable length of time and that the time to make preparations, well, it's no time to start like today, um, but better late than never. But that's where we're at. And this is the total state. This is where we're going to be for a considerable length of time. And I don't mean to say this to be a sort of demoralizing account here, but rather than to say that this is the foreseeable future for years to come, this is that what we deem to be progressive and acceptable comes with some of the nastiest consequences like we've already covered today and it's only going to get more and more common and the likelihood of people judging their own livelihood or their family or their children for their own moral conscience is going to get increasingly difficult and that is sort of the power of powerlessness here in the united states we are in our own sort of soviet style of persecution and political disputation like Dungi or Ivan have because they believe in something that is contradictory to the state of regime and its mandates, they will be, you know, thrown out of polite society and they will be thrown into their own gulags and ghettos ideologically. It's why we see people get banned all the time or demonetized off YouTube or these platforms. We exist in enemy territory and that's the way it's going to be for some time. Yeah, I wrote about this in kind of my latest chapter on on the total state. You know, one of the things that one of the reasons that the the Western states, total states, get away with what they do, is because they're fox based states instead of line based states, and so because they're not putting people in gulags, but instead they are just making sure that they can't be you know do business anymore. They can't get hired. They can't uh, be seen in public. Uh, they can't do banking. Uh, they lose the ability to to just again interact with the basic institutions required for life in kind of the western world um because that that is a far easier way to quell dissent in the modern age as opposed to like having to ship your enemies on trains and drive them to camps uh people pretend like things just aren't that bad and 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 like you said it's really important i think for conservative christians especially to understand they are the, in the minority at this point and that's really important because there's always this feeling right that the the silent majority is coming you know and the, the silent majority will save us at the end of the day the democratic impulse Will you know? But will will rise up and throw down kind of these these uh, decadent elites uh, because they'll see that they've been pushed too far, and they'll they'll rise up and they'll uh, push back, and and will return back to the way things are supposed to be. That is not coming. You are not the majority. There is there is not some point at which fifty one percent of people will realize that you were right and they were wrong. 
and they will snap to attention and they will kind of bring this revolution to heal. That is not how things are going to work. And you got to wrap your head around that because if you don't, again, this isn't to demoralize, this is to prepare. Like the Prudentialist said, you have to shift your mindset. You have to understand, okay, we're in the minority. What does that mean? How do we protect ourselves? How do we carve out a way to, to keep our children from falling prey to this kind of thing? How do we protect our communities and the people around us that we care about? You have to start shifting to that mentality and understanding that, you know, if you want control of the popular apparatus anymore, if you want your opinions, your values to be the ones that are prevalent in, in the public square again, you can't be pretending that there's going to be some return to to institutional neutrality. This is the new faith. This is the ruling ideology. This is the worldview that dominates everything around you. It has to be challenged. It has to be replaced. You have to replace it with a positive vision. Neutrality is not enough. You can't just leave the abyss or you're just waiting for it to come back a few years later. Either you replace this with something that actually is good and beautiful and true and actually gives people a way to live in purposeful and meaningful lives or it will continue. People will take an answer, even if it's a horrific answer over no answer at all. And you just have to understand that. Absolutely. And that's where we're going to be for a considerable length of time is the necessary need to reshift the footing. The claims of the silent majority will, I mean, that comes from Nixon. And we saw how Nixon was effectively thrown out of office in the 1970s. And we're not going to go back to a time where someone's got his recordings giving off his sort of based right-wing opinions in the annals of the White House that time has long since passed. And so that's the clear reminder that needs to be stated is, is that you are a minority and you are up against a force that will, through law, dialectics, persecution, ostracism, and all other such manners, um, to go after your kids. And... You know, if they're unhappy and screeching and wailing that they can't abort your child, well, they will happily indoctrinate and abuse and traffic them to get them to where they want. Because anything that does not reproduce naturally through natural procreative means is going to have to be parasitical. And that's what we're dealing with right now. Whether that means boundless of thousands of people coming across the border illegally and the state not doing anything about it or not doing anything when cases like these tend to happen, that's what you're up against. And that requires you to have networks of like-minded people just to rely on it. Can you trust your neighbors or your neighbor's public school teachers, for example, that believe in yeah. this stuff? Those are things that have to come into consideration when all these things play a major role in not only your livelihood, but the livelihood of your children. And they don't want you to have kids. And if they do, they're going to go after them and encourage public schooling. There's a lot of discussion right now on the left about the need to get rid of public school. And that they're so unhappy that these so-called basic facts of life, a trans woman or women or something like that, aren't, you know, that these parents don't want to teach that. Well, that clearly has to be outlawed. And they will use the power of the state to do so and latch on to previously existing legislation and institutions to do it, whether it's disparate impact, you know, protected identities and status, they will continue on and generate new ones. And this isn't going to burn out anytime soon. I don't see this, you know, sun of progress, you know, going supernova or burning out into a red dwarf anytime soon it is the burn is going to keep going yeah absolutely you you, you have to remember and, and and you know by all means protect your children in the, in the way you can but like you said at the end of the day these people are going to find uh some kind of way probably through you know civil rights law because it is the magical wand that rules our our uh nation right now to eliminate the ability to even take care of your own kids to, to protect your own kids like i said we're already seeing the state use 
these identities, these protected classes as ways to wedge uh, children away from their parents. And so just just the need to understand that the solution, you know, yes, fix things at home first, you know, protect at home first, but understand it doesn't just stop there. And and being, you know, active in your community, when you know, making sure that the right people in charge, it doesn't buy you everything, it doesn't protect you forever, but but it buys you time. And and that's really essential in a case where people are are pushing this stuff uh, constantly. It's it's the the best way to have a, a the best kind of political insurance if any is available at this point. So so do remember that, guys. All right, so we're going to move on uh, to any questions people have in just a minute. So if you have any questions, guys, you can throw those up there. Uh, but before we do that, Prudentialist, uh, do you want to point everybody to all the very cool stuff that you do? Sure. If you, if I could make one last point before oh, we, yeah, we head off Go to do it. those things. 100%. Is that you have to keep in mind that even if they have complete control over everything, there's a reason why Orrin has that term coined for the total state for a reason. There is a totality of control in almost every institution, and they will go for the ones that don't do it. Even though they have complete control over everything, this mindset that you see is a mindset of the revolutionary. It does not matter that they have secured the Politburo, that the czarists have been murdered and martyred. What matters to them is, is that where else can power be found? And if not, where can I axe power out of other ways? It's the same way we see the left right now, you know, having their own discourse over the term non-binary. Is it a way to sidestep racial questions? Is it a sidestep to just be seen as an identity? That kind of revolutionary mentality is not going to go away because the revolution has to continue. It has to perpetuate, even if they have total control over everything. This is why to the left, every election is the it's like you're voting for 1933 and you can have the opportunity to stop, you know, a certain regime from rising into power. It's the same reason why they believed that, you know, when George W. Bush was in office or when Trump was in office, all these terrible things were going to happen. The power of fear against those who know that they do not deserve power and shouldn't be anywhere near the levers of control has been their ultimate motivating force. And it's going to continue for some time soon. The last thing that they want is uh, for them to, you know, have an opportunity or a place to say that they can't actually activate. And then they're going to bring even more force to bear against it. And that's going to be something that we have to, to manage. But that's the final point that I wanted to add is that the revolutionary mindset is very real. Yeah, 100, 100%. Again, like the, the left is a force of deconstruction, it is a force of societal entropy. It gains its political and social energy by inverting hierarchies and breaking natural bonds. And the if they, that's why they keep going for smaller and smaller and smaller wedges, because there's always something that has to be consumed, you know, that that is the essential part of the left. And if they ever run out of fuel, then they'll just start eating themselves. But until then, they, they will come after kind of all those things that is a necessity of what they do. So I, I think that's an excellent point. All right. Oh, but you didn't tell people where they can find your, all your awesome stuff. So you got to well, do that. Sure. Go uh, well, thank you, Orrin, again, for having me on. But uh, if you don't know me, I'm the Prudentialist. You can find me on YouTube, Twitter, Odyssey, and other places. I have a great link called findmyfriends.net slash the Prudentialist. You can find all of my work there. I primarily do international relations and cultural commentary here on YouTube, as well as book reviews and other cultural commentary on Substack. So uh, like Orange, you know, I just do a lot of writing, do video work, and uh, very glad to be brought on here. And if you want to know what the heck is going on in the world, um, every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, I do Prudent Observations, a review of geopolitics, international relations, and theory. So not only can we have a finger on the pulse on our politics like Oren does, but also what's going on in the world abroad. Absolutely. And you should definitely check out uh, a uh, video he just did on political ratchets. Uh, it was very good, even if he called me a dirty journalist. In it. Um, 
that's that's how much I like the Prudentialist's work. I'll still endorse it, even even if he smears my good name with uh, with such a moniker. Well, you can't um, say you're a recovering journalist anymore. Look, we don't have to, you know <laughs> difficult truths. Okay, we don't have to acknowledge that. Uh, no. Um, so yeah, definitely make sure that you you check that video out because he did a very good job uh, with that one. Uh, also, a couple things, guys. Uh, I've got an article that's uh, on this right now, dropping on the Blaze today, probably. So make sure that you check for that piece. And uh, also, I've got uh, a uh, podcast tomorrow with uh, Gio uh, Pagnelli and uh, La- uh, Last Things. Uh, it's going to be on Trojan horses in kind of TV shows that start off base but become woke. I'm looking forward to that one. I think it's going to be really good. So make sure that you check that out. Uh, tomorrow. And then, of course, if this is your first time here, please make sure you go ahead and subscribe. And if you haven't done so, uh, the podcast has been really blown up. I appreciate all you guys for doing that. It's been amazing to see uh, everyone just subscribing over there. But if you're one of the people who hasn't made the transition over there and you want to be able to listen to this while you're working out, mowing the lawn, playing video games, doing all the important things that you do, make sure that you go ahead to your favorite uh, podcast platform. It's on all the major ones, Spotify, Apple, all that stuff. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast there and if you do so please make sure that you're leaving that like and uh, rather that rating and a review if you would that just helps everything out makes it much easier for people to find the show so i really appreciate it um and then oh we got a uh, super chat here uh grab that real quick before we go creeper weirdo 2.0 i didn't or two dollars thank you very much i didn't know the anchorman had a kid uh <laughs> I did not draw that comparison. I, I usually think of you as a World War One uh, uh, veteran. Uh, oh, that's what I, I normally get called, like some Anglo yeah. officer getting told to throw people over the trench. But, you know, I yes, Will Ferrell used to be funny, so I guess it's not that bad. Yeah, no, I feel like that uh, that mustache is is one that was born to to tell people to to get over the trench. Yeah, I, I think that's, but uh, but I could see the Anchorman. Yeah, and that, and that was a, a movie back when Will Ferrell had some comedy left. So. Uh, not the worst thing in the world. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And as always, we'll talk to you next time.